would this morning, would you please open your Bibles up to Isaiah 66. We're going to study verses 10 to 14. It's a wonderful text of scripture for Mother's Day. It demonstrates the glory of motherhood. It's a text in which God likens himself and Jerusalem, his church, Zion, to a nursing mother who feeds her baby and comforts her son grown to be a man. Isaiah 66, 10 to 14, this is the word of the Lord and it is eternally true. Be joyful with Jerusalem and rejoice for her, all you who love her. Be exceedingly glad with her, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied with her comforting breasts, that you may suck and be delighted with her bountiful bosom. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you will be nursed, you will be carried on the hip and fondled on the knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Then you will see this, and your heart will be glad, and your bones will flourish like the new grass. And the hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but he will be indignant toward his enemies. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of every one of our hearts here be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, our text this morning is in the last chapter of the prophet Isaiah, and it's written to the people of God who are preparing to return to their homeland, and particularly to Jerusalem where they intend to start up again their worship of the only true God. Now, when we talk about Jerusalem and Zion, any of you remember the sermon that my brother gave in an evening worship? Blessed, this one is born in Zion. You remember that? I just will never forget it. Where he lifted up the glory of being born again in Zion. This one is born in Zion. And so we think of our birthdays when our mothers gave birth to us, but... What we should really celebrate is the day when the church gave birth to us as a child of God. Now, in the Old Testament, this was located in Jerusalem. Everybody thought of Jerusalem as not just the capital, but also the place where all the worship was done. In fact, God had commanded that they were not to put up altars and to sacrifice in the high places. You read in the Old Testament, every time high places is used, it's negative. It's, it's a bad thing because that's when the people won't be disciplined to do what God said and come to Jerusalem where he appointed his worship to happen. And instead they went up into the places that were close to them, ancestral lands, out in nature. You know, the guy that's the hunter and says, I worship God more out in the woods than I ever would in a church. Well, he's the modern counterpart of the people that gave themselves to the high places in the Old Testament. God chose that the worship would be centered in Jerusalem. So when we hear references to Jerusalem, we shouldn't just think capital, place of kings. We should think Jerusalem is the church in the Old Testament. Zion, Jerusalem, all right? Now, today we don't go to Jerusalem, do we? We come here. And so what is happening here is that the people of God are coming back and they're going to set up their worship again. They're going to set it up in Jerusalem, all right? They're going to begin to sacrifice again. They're going to begin to pray there, all right? And what God says is, be joyful with Jerusalem and rejoice for her, all you who love her. And what we have to see is that along with the people who truly were born again, who truly had faith in God's provision of a Messiah, were those who were false believers, and who were also going to go to Jerusalem, they were going to go ahead and sacrifice, they were going to act like they loved it, but it was going to be uh, what the New Testament refers to those who have a form of religion but deny the power thereof. And after our text, the prophet condemns them, it makes it very clear that God does not look on favorably and does not delight in, but rather hates those who are not humble and contrite of spirit, and who do not tremble at his word. So going back to Jerusalem, there was going to be a division. And the division was going to be between those who tremble at the word of God, those who are humble and contrite of spirit, 
and those who are proud and who the worship is to them something that keeps them in touch with their neighbors, something that they do which their grandparents did, something that we as Jews do in Jerusalem, all right? And God makes a distinction between these two groups. And what's interesting is in verse 5 it says, Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. And this is very similar, the sort of taunting that was done of Jesus when he was on the cross where, you know, the religious leaders looked up at Jesus on the cross and they said, He trusts in God, let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, for he said, I am the Son of God. People, listen. Every time we gather for worship, Every single time the people of God are together, there are those in our midst who are scoffers. Don't ever think that everybody here is united. We're not. There are always those here who mock the things of God. And so every time the word of God goes out, it's always dividing. Jesus was always dividing. Jesus couldn't open his mouth without dividing. All right? And so... Here at this wonderful time where they're all coming back home to the church, to Zion, to Jerusalem, to this wonderful mother, there are those who are scoffing, making fun of it. You know, I could almost say that in every home, there is always a child who scoffs at his mother. But that's getting a little bit sort of unromantic on Mother's Day. And so here they are, they're heading back to Jerusalem, and God will judge with fire and the sword those who are false worshipers. But the true followers of God who had faith in God's provision of the Messiah, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted in Jerusalem, says the Lord God. Now this is where we're going to focus our attention this morning. But, I, but again, I want to hammer the issue. Every single time we study the Bible, keep in mind the division. It's always there. Yesterday I was talking to David Carell about the wedding. And David and I, I don't know where, David, where were you sit, seated? So I was where you are today, and you were over on that side. And both David and I heard that when it came time to express our joy in the marriage... It was a horseshoe of joy. That the celebration was out around the perimeters. Both David and I thought the same thing. Every time the things of God are laid out publicly, it divides. Every single time. And it is God's intention. This is not something that escaped God's notice and that he can't deal with. That's Albert Schweitzer. You know, that's his doctrine. Jesus was surprised to find that his revolution didn't work, and then he died. That's why he went to Africa and played the organ, probably fugues. And boy, there were fugues here yesterday, those of you that were here for the ceremony. And there was joy. And the joy was so completely vulnerable. And that's the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, how much dignity you have when you're at your mother's breast. Right? How much dignity does a child have as it nurses? As he nurses. As she nurses. She just receives. And so this image of the church of Zion, of Jerusalem, being the nursing mother that God gives us for our comfort is so pertinent And it's so clear all the time that there are those who come to the church. um, There are those who come to the church as little baby robins. We have this lemon tree that my mother gave to us probably 28 years ago. And so we've had it ever since. It's made moves with us. And we've had it out on the deck in the summer. And uh, this year, Mary Lee put it back in the corner of the deck. And so it's right next to the window of the study. And one day I was out there grilling a number of weeks ago, and there was this robin 
that was acting very aggressive. And I couldn't figure it out, you know? It's like, bug off, dude. This is my deck, my barbecue, you know? Leave me alone. You've got the whole world out there, <laughs> you know? But it kept room and then room, you know? And I thought, wait, wait, maybe it's building a nest in the lemon tree behind me. So I went over and I looked at the lemon tree, and there was no nest. There wasn't any hint of a nest in there. And I just thought, you know, maybe this robin's retarded or something, you know? So a couple days later, guess what? All of a sudden, a nest started growing in that tree. And that robin was making it very clear to me that that was its turf. What it didn't know is that I had a speaker right above the nest. <laughs> and so I get my revenge. <laughs> Those little robins. Now there are four of them in there. And if you bring your kids over to our house, you can have your daddy lift you up or your mummy. And you can look and you'll be about that far from the robin's nest. And of course, the robin doesn't feel particularly threatened if you're behind glass, you know. And there are those robins. And I always think of congregations that are godly as little, little birds. Because godly congregations aren't sitting scoffing at what is happening. But you know what they do? They've got their necks and then their mouth. And that's the way godly congregations are. They just have the mouth open and they're being fed. And this is the image that is used here for the church. Where as one whom his mother comforts, but it, it, it goes on and it talks about the actual nursing. It says you will be nursed, you will be carried on the hip and fondled. You'll be delighted with your mother's bountiful bosom and this is the church. Delighted with her bountiful bosom. Think of the bosom of this church. Think of Nana and how Nana feeds us. Okay, you know, some of you don't know her, but think of how she feeds us. Think of Eleanor, a mother in Israel. Eleanor just, she, she's Andrew Henry's parallel. You know, the Energizer bunny. Just just goes, 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 goes. And then you look around and you see that all the gifts that we need are here. We have Bob. What does Bob give to us? He is part of the milk that God pours out on this church. He is part of the bountiful breast of this church that all of us feed from. Every single gift in this church is part of God giving us the milk through which we're built up into a holy, beautiful, pure bride. Um, here I am, 58, and I still don't know how to say it. I'm going to say Kara. No, it's Kara. No, it's Kara. Kara. She used to be Wagner, but then she gave that up. Kara, Kara. Were they both Kara, or is one Kara and the other is Kara? They're both Kara. They're both car. Okay. We had a neighbor across the street, and they're almost the same age, and I could never remember which one I was supposed to say, Leah and Leah. Oh, Cara. Okay. Okay, it's Cara. No, <laughs> I don't care. We're going to refer to her from this point on as uh, Colin's, Colin's wife. And she did up a little bumper sticker, and the bumper sticker has a steeple and a church on it. And then it says, love your mother. Okay? That's the text this morning. The church is your mother. Love your mother. She gives you such wonderful food. God speaks to us through his prophet Isaiah about the care his people may expect from him. And he likens himself to a mother. All right, But he also uses a similar image in Psalm 103.13 where he says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So the church is God's gift to us from the wonderful, tender, compassionate love he has for us. 
The, the metaphor of motherhood is used in another text in Isaiah to illustrate God's compassion for his people. In Isaiah 49, 15, we read, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? And, of course, the expected answer is no. But this is a great verse for abortion today. You know, you ask the question, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? And what's the answer? Well, the answer is no, but the answer is yes. And it goes on to say, even these may forget. God acknowledges that, that a woman can be that twisted. Even these may forget. And then he says, but what? I will not forget you. Isn't that beautiful? So God surpasses the most tender ministrations of the most devoted mother in his care for his children. Meditate on what we see here revealed concerning the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you will see how low he bends to conform to our weakness. Very, very low. He speaks of his care for the godly in terms of a vulnerable and helpless infant, nursing at his mother's breast, snuggling in her arms, bouncing on her knee. He speaks of his comfort as the comfort a mother provides her adult son. You see up there, verse 13, as one whom his mother comforts. And so you're thinking a little baby, right? Little child, toddler, falls down, skins his knee, right? But the word one is in the Hebrew ish. And yesterday when you read scripture, it's she shall be called woman, for she was taken from man. Well, the Hebrew there is she shall be called Isha, for she was taken from Ish. And so this word one is that word man. In other words, this word one is referring to an adult. And so I'm going to read it again. As a man whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. So at what point does our mother stop comforting us? How old are we? Ask your wife. <laughs> you know, sometimes wives get pretty disgusted over the comfort that their mother-in-law gives their husband. Right? Any of you had that experience? It's like, would you stop treating him like a baby? He's my husband. He's a man. He's not your little boy anymore. As a man whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. What a comfort it is for us to have our mothers alive. Imagine that I'm 58 and my mother is still living. And you know, she lives to comfort me and my brother David and her daughter Deborah. Now, how do I know that? Well, she's deep into senility now, and if she is ever uh, out of control emotionally, distraught, angry, whatever, there's one way to immediately cause her to calm down. You know what it is? I put my hand under her hand, and she starts rubbing my hand, and immediately she's calm. Why? Because she's doing, would somebody fix this, by the way? Somebody put up their hand. Thank you. This has been this way for a couple years. It drives me bonkers. And I always think about it as I preach. I'd like to not think about it anymore. Thank you, Andrew. He's helpful. And so the other thing I've noticed is if I'm sitting in, 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 the, uh, in the couch and my mother's next to me, she'll tell me, lean forward, and then she'll put her hand up. And she has strong hands. And she'll, she'll massage my shoulders and my back. And as long as she does that, she's absolutely at peace. Why? Because your mother lives to comfort you. She lives to comfort you. That's what a mother is. And many of us have received unbelievably beautiful comfort from our mothers as adults. We've needed it. And it's fitting. Now, if a son is honorable, a daughter is honorable, they live a life of devotion to their parents. 
If he's well-respected at the city gates, if he's godly, then his mother's heart swells with pride. And if such a thing were possible, her maternal care for him grows larger as the years pass. Mothers care for their sons from the womb to the grave. And so God our Father cares for us also. Where do we see this? Well, the classic location is Ezekiel 16, where God talks about how he sees us when we're naked on the ground in our mother's blood. And he says, I stooped down and I picked you up and I washed you and I made you my child. And that's a good indication of what we're like when God gives us new life in Christ. Hosea 11 and 1 the first few verses, God says, When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. It is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms. I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love. And I bent down and fed them. Psalms 71, 17 and 18. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. Which means we're born and we die in God. And then this precious statement in John 13. Jesus comes to the end of his life, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he what? He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. And so our mothers are just the faintest shadow of the love and compassion of God for his children. In Deuteronomy 32, 11, we read, As an eagle stirs up her nest, flutters over her young, spreads abroad her wings, takes them and bears them on her wings. And soon that robin is going to have to teach those little robins how to fly. And everything they need, she will give them. And we see a similar picture but much more intimate in Matthew 23, 37, where Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. So at the end of his ministry, this is what Jesus says about the people of God, the Jews, that he loved them, that he wanted to gather them as a hen gathers her chicks, but they were unwilling. There's probably nothing that more destroys the heart of a Christian mother than to see her children unwilling to be gathered by God. Just hard and resistant. And so, what do we learn from this text? Well, first, speaking of this world, we learn how good God is to give us mothers who are still living who comfort us, who teach us, and who pray for us. Cotton Mather is somebody that I like a lot. <laughs> and everybody else thinks they hate him, but they know nothing about him. Because what all they learn, they learn from some social studies teacher in the public high schools in junior high. Anyhow, Cotton Mather was a pastor in colonial America, and when his mother died, he preached a sermon, and here's the title of the sermon, okay? It was published as a book, and it's called Maternal Consolations, an Essay on the Consolations of God, whereof a man whom his mother comforteth receives a shadow, and all the children of God enjoy the substance. So this is just the normal kind of language in colonial America when they were so stupid, you know, that he titles his sermon that your true blood mother is a shadow and that Jesus Christ is the substance. Are you with me? And then he says, 
the sermon given on the death of Mrs. Maria Mather, the consort of the Reverend Dr. Increase Mather. That word has changed a little bit. And the daughter of the renowned Mr. John Cotton, who expired on fourth day, second month, 1714, in the 73rd year of her age, by Cotton Mather, DD, and FRS. And a son of the deceased gentlewoman. Here's what he says. He is a barbarous wretch and worthy to have his eyes pulled out in the valley of carcasses. Who does not count it so to have gratitude for his mother. Though it should be a decayed mother, a decrepit mother, one under all the inconveniences of old age and one that must be entirely supported by her children. Yet their presence of their mother with them is something for which they should be grateful if there be not barbarity of ingratitude in the children. You know, we live in such a perverse day that we don't see how barbarous life around us is. One of the things that uh, parents of young children you need to inculcate in your children constantly is the respect and affection that their children are to give to their mother. Children learn how to honor and respect and pay back their mother by being taught that by their father. Right? And we need to teach our children this. You know, one of the things that's uh, delightful, when Doug Wilson was with us, he and Nancy were with our family when we had a family meal, because they did that when we were out there. And so, because Doug and Nancy Wilson were there, I, ha I was very careful to have devotions after the meal. I didn't want them to think ill of me. And so we read the Bible. And we're... Finishing up, actually, Mary Lee and I all alone finished it up this week. Um, reading through the Pentateuch and Robert Alter's translation. And, and we got done, and I said, Doug, would you like to say anything? I certainly wasn't going to say anything. And uh, he said, well, yes. He said, what I'd like to say is, what book of the Bible did Jesus quote from more than any other? And you could go through almost every single book of the Old Testament before you'd come up with it because no evangelical today would ever quote from this book. It is the book of Deuteronomy. Doesn't <laughs> that seem crazy? Let me read from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, verses 6 and 7. If you happen to come upon a bird's nest along the way, in any tree or on the ground, with young ones or eggs... And the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall certainly let the mother go. Think of what that shows us about God's care for mothers. Right? If a mother is with her young, you're not to take her away. So it's Mother's Day today, and we just heard Deuteronomy. We just heard God's concern for, for a little bird, a little bird. And because in Corinthians, we just read, and we'll be reading again next week, Lord willing, where it says, don't muzzle the ox, and then it says, you don't think, you don't think it's the animals he cares for, do you? Remember that? Everybody remember that? So we know that this law is also in Deuteronomy, not because of God's care for animals, but because of what? Because of his care for mothers. Now, does that mean God doesn't care for animals? No. No, there are many, many indications in Scripture, including this, that God does care for animals. But don't ever mistake that it's you, a mother, that God cares about. Now, what is the application of this? Well, if God provides Jerusalem 
if he today provides the church as the mother of those of us who believe, if he feeds us from her breast, if he makes her breast bountiful so that we are overflowing in the milk that we need, all right, if this is the church, and if he tells us that we're not to harm the mother sitting on the eggs, sitting with the little ones in the nest, right? What that means is that we as men should make it our work to protect mothers of young. And it's such a stupid thing to say. Men should make it our concern to protect women in their motherhood. Right? It's so stupid. It's like listening to Jody yesterday. Afterwards, everybody said, that was a fabulous sermon after the wedding. And what Jody said was, it was just stupid. All I did was just say the most obvious things in the world. Jody didn't say that, but somebody else said it, and it's true. It was just saying the most obvious things in the world. And today, we live in a day when good is evil and evil is good. Everything is twisted. And so we have to say the most obvious things. And what this verse in Deuteronomy makes clear is that we're not to take the mother from her young. Is everybody with me? Is this obvious? Right? Now, in what way do we take the mother from her young? How about sending mothers over to Iraq? How about putting them on submarines? Mothers. We're not just talking about women. We're talking about mothers. How about sending them up in a rocket so they can be blown to smithereens as their children watch on television? And then we think we're enlightened and progressive? This is so twisted. Another thing that we can do is we as husbands can make a point of intervening when the extended family begins to de demean our wife. We recently had a family member who came to visit us, and after dinner, the family member looked around the table and said to Lucas, what do you do? And Lucas said, well, I, 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 I code, I write computer code, and I do internet programming, and I, I work at the church, and, I, and what do you do, she said to Hannah. And Hannah was sort of nonplussed. And Hannah said, well, what did she say? Yeah, I think Hannah just, she had two babies in her hand and another one coming. Big, great with child, you know. And she's how old? Really young. And so somebody else said, well, she's a mother. And, and, and the relative said, well, she can still work. She can still help bring money into the home. Mary Lee did when she was young. This is our world. A woman has no value if she's a mother, none. Her value comes from her ability to bring income into the home. That's her value. Now listen, guys, listen, I cannot honor motherhood without opposing this wickedness. That's what you don't get. You don't understand that slavery would never have ended if everybody had gone around talking about how much they liked Africans. What they had to do is go around and say abolition, no union with slaveholders, and listen, we don't defend women until we begin to oppose that kind of thing in our living rooms and in our extended family gatherings, okay? If I hear a mother say to me, I say to her, I'm meeting her, and I say, what do you do? And she says, nothing, I just, I'm just a housewife. Do you know what I always used to say when people would say that to me? I'd say, so I guess that means you sit around at home and twiddle your thumbs. You have to oppose this in the mind of your wife. Because she sucks in what the culture teaches it. Women today have no value in their own minds if they're mothers. Because our society does not value it. And so as husbands and fathers, you have to constantly, constantly hammer away the value of what they're doing to them. 
You have to teach them. You have to glory in it. You have to show them your delight in their motherhood. And not to patronize them. The reason you do it is because it's doggone beautiful. It is beautiful. This last week I was in bed, as I always am. Because I only work one day a week. My brother Nathan would leave church at College Church, and when he went past Kent, the pastor at the time, he'd say, well, I'm, I'll bet you feel relieved having your work done for the week. <laughs> so I was in bed, and all, I think I had just gotten up. Maybe I wasn't up yet, but Mary Lee comes running upstairs, and she shuts the door of the bedroom. And there's Daniel and Zion downstairs. And they're making all kinds of noise. I said, what are you shutting the door for? She said, well, I figured you didn't want to hear the noise. And that time I said, oh, no, it's delightful. All right? Is the noise delightful to you? I go downstairs, and on Wednesdays, Bailey, our little five-year-old granddaughter, is down there up on the counter or near the counter, and just talking her little idiot head off to my wife. She just talks and talks and talks and talks, you know. And you go down there, and is that beautiful? You know what I find beautiful? Obviously, Bailey. But, oh, I find my wife beautiful. That here she is. She's, she's done her time. Doesn't that sound like prison? That's what older people often say about working in the nursery. I've done my time. And there Mary Lee is. She's done her time, and she's starting all over again. You tell your wife she's beautiful when she's taking care of your grandchildren. You tell her she's gorgeous when she listens to the completely uninteresting patter. I remember, I won't identify which children, but I remember being in the living room listening to my wife listen to blow by blow of the movie they had just seen. And I mean, I think I would rather sit and talk to Donald Trump <laughs> than listen to the plot of a movie from a teenager. And my wife would act so interested in fact, I think sometimes she really was. <laughs> the church is our mother, and she feeds us whatever we need. And as we nurse from the church, we learn to love our mothers. And if we love our mothers, we'll love our wives. We'll love the mothers of our children. And if we love the mothers of our children, we will never stop telling them how beautiful they are as a mother. And we will never stop reading G.K. Chesterton out loud to them so that they understand the battle that surrounds them. Jeremy, start right now. What's wrong with the world? That's the book. Got that? What's wrong with the world? All of you men, buy What's Wrong with the World by Chesterton. And read out loud to them the difference between men and women. And it will make them feel like maybe they're not crazy after all. Right, Heather? She's home with a sick child. I don't know what she's home for. That's Chico. And so what we have to do is we have to show our respect for motherhood. And I want to give one other practical thing. Read to our wives and our daughters the nature of the conflict, instruct them about the nature of the conflict, make them see how society looks down on them, not to depress them, but to encourage them that they're not crazy when they say, oh, I don't do anything, I'm just a housewife. Can you imagine how appalled women must feel having to fill out on forms, housewife? I mean, that's like, that's like lower than card counter. Okay. Now, there's one other practical thing I want to say to you. 
When we got married, being egalitarian, Mary Lee and I uh, did all our work together, and I felt that it was important that Mary Lee bring in a good proportion of the income. And then she had a baby, and then occasionally there would develop tension, conflict in our home over how poor we were, and Mary Lee, can't you earn some more money? All right? And then God somehow brought it into my head that I needed to stop doing that. And so I said to Mary Lee one day, lover, from this point on, I promise you that I will never expect you to bring any money into our home at all. Never. Now, it wasn't because we had come into the lottery. We were very poor. But all of a sudden, I realized that if I really did love Mary Lee being a mother, that I had to tell her that I would take all the burden off of her providing any of the finances of the home. Now, at that time, Mary Lee had a baby, and so she wasn't able to go in and have a job that she worked 40 or 60 hours a week, but she was able to make muslin nightgowns, old Victorian ones, wonderful nightgowns. And she was selling them at one of these like alternative artisan stores on State Street, you know, up in Madison. And she was selling them to the people in our church. Everybody loved them, and would, she'd take their measurements and make them nightgowns. A couple of times in our marriage, I have felt the strain of the finances, and I've gone to her and said, Lover, can't you do anything to bring in more money? And then I remember, and then I apologize to her. I would like every husband here to say to their wives today, before the day is over, I will never expect you to bring any money into our home. Never. Now, you say, well... There are certain situations where it's unavoidable. Yeah, and it's also true that there are certain times when you break your, when, when vows of marriage are broken. But we don't live our lives for the exception. We live them for the norm. And so, yes, if your husband has a stroke and you have to go back to work, everybody understands that's not a violation of that promise. Make the promise. Tell your wife, that you, the man, will provide for your home. And that's the way that you show your honor for motherhood. Does this make sense to you? And so, those are a couple of practical things. Speak into their lives. Keep them from thinking of motherhood as a demeaning thing. Tell them how beautiful they are as mothers. Tell them how much you love their stretch marks. Okay? If you've been in the class with Stephen today teaching on marriage, it was beautiful, and that's one of the points that he made. Now let me read to the, this to you one more time. If you happen to come upon a bird's nest along the way and any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs, and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall certainly let the mother go. Be joyful with Jerusalem and rejoice for her, all you who love her. Be exceedingly glad with her, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied with her comforting breasts, that you may suck and be delighted with her bountiful bosom. And you will be nursed, you will be carried on the hip and fondled on the knees as one whom his mother comforts. So will I comfort you and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. I have one final application. When we talk about motherhood, we're talking about the church, right? Jerusalem, our mother, all right? And today, th that's this. This is the church of Jesus Christ, okay? And she is our mother. All through history, what church leaders have said starting with Cyprian, is they've said, he who will not have the church of his mother may not have God as his father. He who will not have the church as his mother may not have God as his father. God never takes us away from the breasts of this mother. Never until we die. Okay? Now, if that's true, if the milk is good, if it's beautiful and bountiful, why would we want to dress it up like a harlot? And send it out to entice those who don't belong to God. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Why would your father 
take your mother from the midst of the home where she is feeding her children and send her out to work the streets at night among those who don't belong to her. Now, you know that there are husbands that do this with their wives, right? Everybody knows this, right? But can you think of anything more despicable? If she has children and the father sends her out from her children and has her dress up and make her appeal to those who don't belong to her. Is that twisted? Are you all with me? And do you realize that's what everybody does with the church today? It's called a seeker service. <laughs> it's where you take the mother church and you dress her up and put baubles and, you know, G-jaws and, you know, all this like crud, you know, paint the mascara on, you know, and, you know, real tall shoes and I don't know. Turn her into a harlot. Make her appealing to whom? Take out repentance, and who does she appeal to? Does she appeal to the true children of God? No. A church where repentance isn't allowed doesn't appeal to us. We sense immediately when we go into church whether repentance is allowed in the church. Everybody here? You've been on vacation? Immediately it's clear. Right? So no, we don't want a church where there is not repentance allowed. We don't want a church where the sacraments are just willy-nilly given to everybody without any warning and without any encouragement, do we? We don't want the preaching done as if it's to people who have never had the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. Right? If the church is our mother, then let's have the church be our mother. Because you know what happens when you paint the church up? When you paint the church up and send it out to those who are not her children, then they get comfortable with her all painted up and they cozy up to her. And they think they're believers, and they're not. Because the thing they love is not the church. It's a harlot. It's Gomer before Hosea bought her back and cleaned her up. And so, if the church is our mother, shall we not give her the dignity to be who she is? Shall we not be content with the pure milk of her breasts? The pure what? The pure word of God. The church needs to be our mother. Because God has determined that we will drink from her breasts until we die. Let's not send her out, paint her, and try to make her appealing to the bastards of the world who do not belong to her. Now, you might think that's heartless and cruel because, after all, shouldn't the church be concerned about those who are not believers? Absolutely. But remember, Satan's a bait and switch. Satan will convince you that if you paint her up and send her out, that's showing real concern for the world. But in fact, that is damning the world to hell. Because the world's never converted, it just cozies up to a harlot and thinks it's saved. So if you love the world, what you have to realize is that when they come into a true church where there is true repentance, where there is true meekness, true humility where there are true women and men, where there's true motherhood and fatherhood, where there are true obedient and honoring children, where there are true elders, true deacons, true pastors, true Titus II women, where it's obvious that the marriages love each other, 
That is what God has said he will not allow the gates of hell to prevail against. That. And when the gates of hell can't prevail against the church, you know what happened? Day by day were added to their number those who were being saved. Not those who found a prostitute attractive. But those who are being saved. And if you go through the book of Acts, what you'll find is that in Acts, it's the time where the holiness of God is most clear that there is the greatest explosion of conversions. Right after Ananias and Sapphira, unbelievable numbers were added to the church. Okay? The, 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 I hope you don't think that's a stretch of the text. If God makes the church this beautiful mother for us, let's be content with the mother he's given us. Okay? Let's not try to gild ourselves and paint ourselves. Let's not go to the cosmetics counter of Nordstrom's. One of my favorite sections of Kierkegaard in Attack Upon Christendom is when he talks about the Apostle Paul. And he says about the Apostle Paul, who was a real mother. He says, remember, for three years I never stopped warning you day and night with tears. All right. And he says, he's being facetious. He says, the Apostle Paul was not a serious man, was he? The Apostle Paul wasn't married. No, he was not a serious man. You get, you get the pattern. You know. The Apostle Paul, we read nothing about his children. No, the Apostle Paul was not a serious man. You know, the Apostle Paul was not wealthy. He made material for tents. No, the Apostle Paul was not a serious man. Can you imagine how the church would receive the Apostle Paul today? You ever fantasize about that? Oh, man, the feathers would fly. It'd be like one of those chickens got caught in my rototiller. <laughs> Body parts flying everywhere. The Apostle Paul in the United States Church today. Oh, man. Any of you want to see it? I want to see it. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we will love the church, our mother, and that we will do everything we can to keep her pure so that she might be evangelistic and that many might be saved. Bless our mothers today. Help us to love them and honor them, we pray in Jesus' name.